Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. If you will take your Bibles this morning, this is our time when we open God's Word to consider what He has to say to us from His Word this morning. Second Peter is where we are at. We will possibly, possibly finish this letter today. Um, we'll see how it goes, but uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, I will draw your attention this morning, even though it has been read already, verses 14 through 18. Let me read to you the passage specifically that we will be looking at, which is in chapter 15b. 15b. The word just, you see that? That's where we'll start. I just want to read this to you as we begin. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. The last couple of weeks, we have been noticing some duties that we have as believers in light of the fact of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I draw your attention up to verse 11 of chapter 3 which says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, the statement is, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's not a question, that's a statement. How excellent you ought to be. This is the ending of his letter on false teachers uh, going through their false teaching regarding the second coming and giving the truth about the second coming and now he is giving application as he brings this letter to a close. Very important, how excellent you ought to be. The certainty of it is, is there, it's going to happen, and it ought to produce in us lives that stand in direct contrast to those false teachers and unbelievers. There should be a contrast between the way we live and the way the world lives. Conform your lives to the reality of eternity is the way one commentator states it. And like I said, we have identified some duties in this section. And I wanted to point out verse 12 to you that we are to our duty to live with expectancy. I showed you that a couple weeks ago, looking for. Uh, you see that in verses 13 and 14. We're to be looking for that, expecting that, understanding that history is moving in a direction, the culmination of all things in the Lord Jesus Christ one day when he appears. Grace Church is a second coming church. We are looking for his coming. We are looking toward that um, incredible event when the skies will open, the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And he will be... a come in judgment, as well as to bring about the kingdom. And things are getting worse. Things are not getting better, as Jesus said. Men are going from bad to worse, and we see the evidences of all that. Paul says that in Romans chapter 1 as well. The second 
duty that we have is to proclaim the gospel. He left us here for this very purpose, to make disciples of all the nations. You see the phrase, hastening the coming day of God, participating in building the kingdom through evangelism, uh, bringing to salvation, being used by God to bring to salvation those whom he has chosen for salvation. Uh, He is waiting for that. We're told in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Last week I took you to verse 14. We are to diligently pursue a holy life. That is uh, because we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to produce in us a holy life. We could not do it apart from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is his pur- one of his purposes in our lives, is to conform us to be more like Jesus. We see that in these verses, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. I took you to 1 John 2, verse 28, when he appears, we will be like him. I took you to 1 John 3, everyone who has the hope of his coming purifies himself just as he is pure. These are just second coming truths that Peter wants to remind us of. We are to be men and women who are desiring to be purified, to be spotless and blameless. To be at peace means to have a clear conscience with God and with others, to be at peace with Him. We're already at peace positionally. You don't make peace with God. He's done that for you in Christ. But we don't want to have anything between us and God. We want to deal with sin in our lives. And then finally today, as we come into this last section, go with me down to verse 15b again in chapter 3. Uh, we are to follow the apostles' teaching. And you notice how he introduces Peter, Peter introduces Paul into his letter here. Verse 15, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. So he's talking here about Paul a little bit. And let's just think about this. I don't know if you realize the history of Peter and Paul. I don't know if you realize uh, what happened with them early on back in the book of Galatians. Uh, I could think of reasons why Peter wouldn't use the term beloved when he describes Paul. Uh, Paul basically embarrassed Peter in a scene in Antioch, uh, in, Antioch uh, in Galatia, in the Galatian region. And uh, it was one of those situations where you had the famed Peter being told by this come-lately apostle, Paul, about a situation that was taking place and confronting him about that. So it's kind of interesting. He calls him our beloved Paul. Things have obviously healed, and it's good to know that. But turn to Galatians 2 just for a moment. Galatians chapter 2. Hold your hand in 2 Peter. We'll be back there. But in Second. In Galatians chapter 2, if you understand the book of Galatians, the Galatian heresy was this. The Galatian heresy was adding works to the gospel. That is what the heresy was. Uh, 
The Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, were saying that Gentile Christians had to become Jews first. Basically, it's okay for them to become Christians. You just have to circumcise them. They have to be willing to keep the law. We're in that transition, you understand, between Jew and Gentile church. And uh, the heresy of the book of Galatians is Paul writing to the Galatians saying, who's putting you back under the law? You have believed in Christ and came to Christ through grace, and now are you trying to be uh, perfected by the law? And that's the whole heresy that's being addressed in that letter. Well, in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul mentions the situation regarding Peter. But when Cephas, Cephas is also the name for Peter, came to Antioch, this is verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Notice what he does. For prior to coming Prior to the coming of certain men from James, James was the leader of the Jerusalem church, prior to the coming of these men from Jerusalem, these Jews, uh, prior to them coming to Antioch, he, uh, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. You see the scene? Basically, he was trying to please these Judaizers, trying to please these men from James by staying away from Gentiles. When they weren't there, he was okay with being with the Gentiles. So you get the scene. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, verse 13 says, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So he calls him out. Paul calls Peter out on that. Uh, because Peter was wrong, because Peter was fearing man more than he was fearing God. He was acting hypocritical. And he says, uh, I opposed him to his face. It was quite a confrontation that he would do that. The Jews viewed the Gentiles as unclean, um, and they wanted nothing to do with them. And um, Peter, Peter had been fellowshipping with them, and now he's not fellowshipping with them. And this was a gospel issue. This wasn't just a, some, you know, preference issue. This was a gospel issue. The integrity of the gospel was at stake here. And uh, Paul was not going to allow anybody, even the apostle Peter, um, to cast doubt on the purity of God's grace. It doesn't say here that Peter repented, but we must assume he did. He must have bowed his head and recognized, I am being a hypocrite. Uh, because Peter certainly would agree with what Paul was saying regarding the gospel. And this is the only conflict we know of between the two. Uh, but they were in harmony now on this issue. And for that reason, we see Peter saying in 2 Peter chapter 3, our beloved brother Paul. And it's good that we know that. It's good the Bible points out these conflicts and seeing how people work through them and seeing that people do work through them because these are real people facing real issues in real time, in real history. And so our beloved brother Paul is uh, who he's being addressed here, who he's talking about here um, in, back in 2 Peter chapter 3. Another truth you see in 2 Peter chapter 3 is in verse 15 as well, the source of Paul's writing. Notice, 
according to the wisdom, also in verse 15 of 2 Peter 3, according to the wisdom given to him, Paul received wisdom. This wasn't Paul's wisdom. This was wisdom that was given to him. He wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. So the readers of 2 Peter, according to that statement by Peter, the readers of 2 Peter have obviously read some letters already that have come to them by Paul. Paul's letters were being circulated. And they obviously had read those letters. That's what he's saying here. Uh, some of the things that I'm saying to you now, he said in those letters. We say the same thing, basically is saying. You, what you're hearing from me, you heard from Paul. And that's what the point of this is, really. Why would he bring up this whole uh, whole whole point here about Paul and Paul's writings and all of this, I really believe it's because he wants you to understand that the apostles' teaching, one, that they're in unity, Peter and Paul are both apostles, that their teaching are both from God, they're the apostles' teaching that people are to submit to, that they're on the same level, Paul's gospel is my gospel, and since I, like I said Paul's letters are being spread and they're hearing about Paul, this is a situation where they are, um, he, he is trying to show them that we're on the same page, the, the importance of the apostles' teaching. Um, he, wants to understand, he wants them to understand that. Paul has probably passed away by now, 66 to 67 AD. Some commentators don't think that, but uh, most do that by this time, Paul has probably left the scene, but his writings are still there, and they're still out there. And Peter is saying, the things you've read, read from him, you're hearing from me now as well. And, and why, do you need to, why do I need to write them if Paul wrote them? Well, just to show you that we're on the same page. Some of the very same things I'm teaching you, Peter says, are things Paul taught. And so that just validates the fact that we both are speaking from the same source, God himself. Turn to Acts 2.41. Just flip over to the book of Acts to chapter 2, verse 41. <clears throat> the early church would have seen that this was very important because they were dependent on the apostles' teaching. They did not have Bibles like we're looking at this morning. They were dependent on the apostles and what they wrote and what they uh, circulated and who was a true apostle and who was not a true apostle, those were concerns that they would have. And so this statement by Peter is very important and because they were so dependent on the teaching of the apostles. Notice in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, so those who had received his word were baptized, this is Peter's preaching, that and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This is in Jerusalem. They were continually devoting themselves. Notice, this is what the early church did. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Number one on the list that the, the early church was doing was they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You say, why? I'm just trying to emphasize the reason why this is an important statement by Peter and 2 Peter. Because the apostles' teaching was important and is important. And it was important to believers to know that Paul was an apostle, especially because he was doubted by so many. 
He spent a lot of his ministry time trying to um, validate his apostleship to his audience because he wasn't one of the 12. He came later to the Gentiles, uh, but he was defending that apostleship on different occasions. But it's the apostles' teaching. And if I say we have a duty as believers in this day and time in which we're living, it is that we commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's what we have in the scriptures. That we understand it was important to them. It's, un- it's, un- it's important to us as well. Notice in John 14, while you're in Acts, just go back to the book of John. The apostles were the Lord's um, messengers special messengers. He gave them authority. He left them here to represent him. These are very important statements. He left them here to represent him, to speak for him. Uh, Their presence was like his presence in the sense of what they were saying, what they were teaching. Their words were authoritative. Notice in the upper room discourse in John chapter 14, verse 25, he's preparing for his departure. He's going to be going to the cross The next day, in John chapter 14, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. I've been with you three years. I have spoken to you. I've been preaching to you. And then he says, you ask yourself, have you ever wondered how they could remember all the things he taught them for three years? I mean, can you remember yesterday that well? I mean, just think about it. Three years. How did they get all that? You see it in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I've I've been abiding with you, I've been teaching you, and I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Go to verse 13 of chapter 16. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Verse 13. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. In 1 Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we saw this statement, no prophecy is an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what you see here. And that's why we say, this is a God-breathed book. This is our authority in the church. This is where we look to, to grow spiritually. This is where we look to, to know the mind of God and the will of God. You don't look to human authority for that. You look to divine authority. This, this is what's elevated in the church and should be elevated in the church is the scripture. Um, and so, it's 2,000 years ago, but it's still what we do. We're really out of step in this church. You realize that. We're looking back at an ancient book. We gather here and open an ancient book. The rest of the world is moving in a different direction. The rest of the world is looking to new experiences, new revelations, new visions. Um, but if you want to maintain your spiritual stability, then this book is so important. I know of no Christian who is growing spiritually uh, and isn't spending time in this book. If you're growing, it's because you're in this book. 
If you're growing, it's because you're feeding on this book. If you're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, it's because you're not in this book. If you're being misled easily, it's because you're not in this book. If you're not understanding how to, if you don't understand the will of God and what God wants and what God desires, it's because you're not in this book. Um, if you're just being controlled by your feelings all the time and living with felt needs, by felt needs all the time, it's because you're not in this book. Those are the things the world promotes. There's what feels right and there's what is right. And they're not always the same. They're not always the same. And see, this is, this is so important to the, the message of the letter. False teachers are out there and they want to mislead you. And they want to bring in things that are wrong and are an error. And you aren't going to recognize them if you don't have the apostles' teaching. That is our duty. It is more so now than ever. More so now than ever. We need something concrete to plant our feet on and say we stand on this book. We believe it's relevant for everything. We believe that it is up to date. It is not a philosophy of the world. It is not originating from man. It originates from the mind of God. Turn to Jude for a moment. Jude, let me just show you. In Jude, in Jude verse 3, Jude is right before Revelation. It's probably one page in your Bible. But Jude 3 says this. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you, notice, contend earnestly for the faith. I'm talking about the content of our, of, our, of, our, of our doctrine, our doctrine, our gospel. Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all, notice, handed down to the saints. It was once for all handed down to us. It's been passed down from the apostles. It's the apostles' teaching. It's not new messages from God. I ran into someone in Publix and I got back up against the ice cream window and listening to them tell me of their vision for God. A vision from God and, and um, a new message from God as they were sitting in church, not this church, but they were sitting in their church and they got this message from God. And um, I mean, I was just sitting there and thinking, how do I get out of here? You know, <laughs> but the point is, the point is, people are doing this all the time. Messages from God. Listen, the apostles got direct revelation from God. Nobody else gets that. Nobody. There are no new messages from God. Now, you might be, God, the Spirit of God may bring passages of Scripture or other truths to you that are from the Bible, things like that. That is a lot different than getting a new message from God and something He's going to do in the near future or any of those kinds of things. And people are led astray by that all the time. Books come out all the time on that. Visions and all those kinds of things. That is Peter's warning. The apostolic teaching. The apostolic teaching. His words are my words because we're apostles, we're God's messengers, and what we say has authority because it comes directly from God. From God to us, to you.
point. So, a lot of colleges and seminaries, you know this, are abandoning this book. They're just abandoning it. And this is what made the church, folks. Did you read what I read in Acts a while ago? The word of God brought in 3,000 souls in Jerusalem. It's the word of God that does the work. It's not my gimmicks. It's not your gimmicks. It's not your excellent presentations of anything. It's none of that. Those things are nice and they're important and they're helpful. But what really matters is God's word doing its work in the life of people. And we need to trust it. We need to believe it. We quit trying to be contemporary and just uh, think this is out of date because it's an ancient book. The world says that. I know they say that. But that is not what we believe and understand. That's false. They have, all they have is philosophies that change all the time, constantly changing. How do you root your life in that? Look in verse 16 back in 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he adds this statement in, some, in which some of the things are hard to understand. Well, I'm glad he said that because that's a true statement. There are some things that Paul wrote that were hard to understand. And quite frankly, Peter wrote some things that are hard to understand. Some things are not as difficult, but some things are. Some things are a little more difficult. He did not say they're impossible. He just says they're hard to understand. Which the untaught and unstable distort. Let me pick up on this word distort. Untaught would be basically uh, referring to false teachers who do not, do not know how to handle the word of God. I think a lot of people do not understand the, the science of hermeneutics and just how you interpret the Bible, good Bible interpretation and help you in that. That's one part of the untaught uh, equation here. But distort, that's different. Distort is to twist. Distort is to, to say something it does not say. Distort is what they would put somebody on that rack, you know, a rack and to stretch them out, trying to get some kind of confession out of them. Uh, really, and it's not even a true confession. They just want to say something. You want that guy on that rack to say something. So you keep turning the knob and inflicting more and more pain. It's like twisting, twisting, twisting till he says something that you want him to say. Well, that's what they do with the Bible. They do that to the Bible, make it say things that it does not say. That's the same idea. That's twisting. They say, God said this or God said that. If somebody says that to you, say, ask for a reference. And then look at the context. They always forget about the context. If I could say what false teachers do more than anything else in their interpretation of the Bible is they do not look at the context of the verses they are quoting. They take one verse and they build a theology out of it. Always look at the context. And then once you look at the context, the near context, look at the context of the whole book. That's hermeneutics. That's how you handle, you know, you would not do any other book any other way. You don't take a writer's, uh, you know, I'm reading a book right now with an author I do not necessarily agree with, but I would never just, to prove him wrong, take one statement he makes and that would build the case. I wouldn't do that to the, you don't do that to the Bible either. But it's twisting. That's the, the idea of the word distort twisting something he says as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction 
Jehovah Witnesses, they do, not like, they do not like the normal translations of the Bible, so they found one they do like, the New World Translation, which gives them room to say that Jesus is not God. They find, they find the wording they like. They find the wording that fits their already preconceived conclusions. They don't do exegesis, they do eisegesis. They make it say things that they want it to say. Prosperity teachers are the worst. They find any verse that even has anything to do with being prosperous uh, and make it related somehow to money and things like that. But so, point, the point is, another duty, we are to maintain our spiritual stability by adhering to and following the apostles' teaching. That is our duty. We must not, we must not give up that. We must not give up that. Notice he says, as they do, the rest of the scriptures just validates the fact that Paul's writing were the scriptures. Just as Peter's writing are the scriptures, Paul's writing is the scriptures as well. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, because you know they're going to distort, be on your guard. Be on your guard. That's what I would say is the fifth duty. Be on your guard. Because you know they're going to distort, you be on your guard so you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Folks, that sums up Second Peter right there. That's what this book has been about. That's what this book has been about. You being on your guard, you not being carried away. Certain things you need to do to make sure this does not happen to you, that you fall from your own steadfastness. You be on the alert so that does not happen. You recognize, because I forewarned you, that they're coming, that they're out there. Because I've told you that, you be on the alert. It's kind of a neat way to end his letter because that's what he's been talking about through the whole letter. But be on the alert because Peter is saying here that any of us could be carried away. Any of us could be. You know, you listen to people talk and they're so charismatic and there's so much personality and they sound so right and, and you, you want them to be right and it's so easy to be carried away. It's so easy. And um, Peter's already told us back in, look back in chapter 2, verse 1. He's told us some things about them so they can be on the alert. In 2.1, notice he said in 2 Peter 2.1, he says false prophets also arose among the people. Talking about in the Old Testament, they had false prophets too. Just as there will be also be false prophets among you, the church, who will secretly, these false prophets will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So he says, one, they're going to infiltrate the church. You're not going to come in the front door saying, hi, I'm a false teacher, glad to be here this morning. I'm not going to say that. No, they come in, they infiltrate, and they secretly introduce destructive heresies, and they try to befriend the pastor right away so that they get more credibility. Or other leaders in the church. Because they want credibility. 
But he says, here's how you know them. This is just real quick. Deny, they deny the master. They, Jesus is not Lord of their life. Look at them, watch them. Do they submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in areas of their life, in every area of their life? Are they in submission to Christ? They deny his lordship. You will know them by who is Lord over them. 2 Peter 2 tells you another thing to watch out for. Many will follow their sensuality. Listen, they have a problem with morality. You know why? They don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They don't have the restraint. They don't have that moral restraint that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. We all struggle with things, but we have, believers have a moral restraint. They don't have that. They have eyes of adultery, chapter 2 said. Now you read this so much in so many of the uh, false teachers' ministries where they are caught up in immorality. And thirdly, greed. You see that in verse 3. And in their greed, they exploit you. They are covetous. They don't really care about you. They care about your wallet. That's what they care about. And the reason so many of them are in the prosperity gospel is because it's all about prosperity and they want to prosper. So he's saying here, you be alert to these people. That's what he's saying in verse 17. You be alert to these people. They have lavish lifestyles and they want to live that lifestyle off of you. They want you to finance it. And they want you to know that God will prosper you if you prosper them. You be aware of that. They're exploiting you. They try to exploit the church. They try to come in and take advantage of the, of the of people in the church and, and the monetary possibility they can gain from the church and people in the church. Don't send your money off to please, places on TV until you've researched that. You've researched it. Do you know what that's all about? It's easy to put crying children and hungry children I hate those things I wanted to help in any way but to put those things on TV to appeal to your emotion to get you to make an emotional decision you think that through well you discern you don't want to enable further false ministries so Peter says watch yourselves so you're not taken in by these men and finally number six the sixth duty that we have is to grow spiritually and you see that you see that you see that in verse 18. And this is key. This is so key. If you are going to keep from falling from your own steadfastness, grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mature. When you became a Christian, you were a babe in Christ. Babies need to grow up. Babies need to mature. We have been given divine enablement to do that. It's not just go out there and grow. No, I have given you the power, the Holy Spirit, to help you grow. That is what he wants from every believer. Your sanctification your maturity in Christ. We are to grow in grace and in knowledge. A growing Christian will be able to discern error from truth. He will know the difference. He will know the difference. When we were children, 
We were very gullible. When we were children, we were unsure. We didn't have a lot of knowledge. We went by our feelings most of the time. We just, whatever felt right, basically that's what, that's what we wanted to do. And we cried if they wouldn't let us do it. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of Christians are. We operate on our feelings, as I said earlier, way too much. And that's what makes us gullible and makes us unable to stand firm and discern when someone with a lot of charisma and a lot of eloquency starts talking. We just need to grow up. We just need to grow up. Peter says, just grow up. I've given you all the warnings. I've given you chapter two. I told you what to look for. I told you what they're going to be teaching that's false. I've told you the truth about the second coming. That's an important doctrine, and they're missing that one, messing that one up. And the main reason they don't like the second coming is because they don't want judgment, and they're going to face it. I told you in chapter one to mature in Christ to, because you've been made partakers of the divine nature. Now add to, your faith with, add to your faith with diligence all of these qualities, character qualities, chapter one, verse five and following. I told you the importance of doing all of that because of this environment that the church is gonna be in the midst of. It was then and it's now. And it's the same message. Grow up, just grow up. Mature in your relationship with God. He says, grow in grace. We are saved by grace. You know that. The love and favor and kindness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, those all are part of that big word grace. We deserve judgment. He shows us mercy and grace. He shows us love. He shows us compassion. He died for us to save us. He's our substitute. He did the work on the cross for us. He died in our place. He took God's wrath for us. And he's saying, that's the grace that I want you to grow in. I want you to grow in those same qualities of compassion and love and mercy and sacrifice and forgiveness toward one another. I want you to grow in those Christ-like traits. A person that doesn't show grace and doesn't show mercy and doesn't show compassion has probably never experienced it from Christ. But because you have experienced it, show it. Grow in it and show it. We grow in Christ-like character. I'll never be like Christ fully in this life, but I am to be growing in that in this life. That's, that is, a, that is a, a duty every Christian has to grow in the grace and knowledge, to grow spiritually. He says knowledge. We grow in knowledge. We grow in our understanding of who Christ is. And this is important. You, you need a good Christology, okay? You need to know who Christ is. There's a lot of false Christ out there, a lot of people calling themselves Christ, but there's a lot of people who are worshiping a Christ that's not the Christ of the Bible. You need to know the difference. You need to know the Mormon Christ is not the same as our Christ. You need to know the Jehovah Witness Christ is not the same as our Christ. 
You need to know the, the, the work and person of Christ. You need to know that, that, that Christ is God. And you need to know that he is God come in, come in the flesh. You need to understand that mostly the cults, when they want to somehow teach a false gospel, when they, when they teach their false gospel, they're always attacking the person and the work of Christ. They, they, they make him less than God or they make his, his work on the cross not sufficient. You can always tell a cult by the person and work of Christ. You can always tell a cult, just ask what they believe about Christ, who he is, and what he did. If it's anything other than a completed work, if it's anything other than him being God, you're dealing with a cult. You're dealing with a cult. If, it's, if, it, if the, the cross is anything but less than being totally sufficient, you're dealing with a cult. They will distort that. They will twist that. And they will, they will twist his humanity as well. Uh, he was not man. He was only God. But he wasn't man. No, he was man. You need to know that. You need to understand who Jesus is. You have, need to have a knowledge of who he is, a knowledge of who Christ is, so that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so that you don't fall from your own steadfastness. Let me just show you one passage. I think I can do this in three minutes. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, how do, you, how do I grow? You say, Rod, how do I grow spiritually? How do I grow spiritually? Rod, there was a time in my life when I thought I was, I was, think I was really growing, but now I'm not growing very much anymore. How do I grow spiritually? I think this is the key verse for spiritual growth, right here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Notice what he says. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, so by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you have truly tasted the kindness of the Lord and you're truly a believer, you grow by becoming like a newborn baby and longing for the pure milk of the word. We said that earlier. You grow by the word. Said it earlier, nobody I know who's growing is avoiding the Word of God. They're in the Word of God. But notice what he says in verse 1. This is the junk food that eats up your, or, or makes you not have an appetite for the Word of God. Verse 1. This is the junk food that's in many of our lives and hinders us from desiring the Word of God that feeds our soul so that we can grow. Notice, putting aside all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. I look at those things, I say, are those things in my life? Are there sins around these things? That's, this is junk food. This is reason I don't long for pure milk of the word. This is the reason I don't want to open my Bible even. Because I'm so burdened down with guilt in these types of areas. I'm a hypocrite. I'm angry and bitter. I'm deceitful, dishonest. I'm slandering people. If that is characterizing your Christian life, you probably have no desire to open the book and you're not repenting of it, then you have no desire to open the book and therefore that's the reason you're not growing. 
I need to get rid of the junk food. That's what I need to get rid of. So that I can, as a newborn babe, long for the pure milk of the word. I've got to get the junk food out of the way. And when I look at God's word, another point I guess I would make to this is when I look at God's word, I can't just be a hearer only. I must be a doer. I must be a doer. Because the Bible is not trivia pursuit, okay? It's not Bible trivial pursuit. It's not just knowing facts. It's not just knowing a lot of stuff about the Bible. We're in a Bible church, and you hear the Bible all the time, and it's real easy to just get a bunch of facts in your head and never internalize it, never really get to know the God that we're talking about or the Jesus we're talking about. Because it's not just knowing facts about the Bible. It's applying the Bible. It's feeding on the Bible. It's longing for it, like pure milk. I need this to grow. I need this to know God better. I need this to know Christ better. I need this to know myself even better. Because we don't want to notice verse 17, fall from, back in chapter 3 of Second Peter, we don't want to fall from our own steadfastness. It's not just about him, it's pursuing him. Paul says, I, I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's his lifelong pursuit to know Christ. I want to really know him. I want intimacy with him. I don't just want to know facts about him. I want to know intimacy. And Peter closes with this line, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Uh, to him refers to Christ. We've just got through talking about him. Christ Here's a clear statement of his deity, be the glory. Remember, God does not share his glory with anyone. For glory to be attributed to Christ tells you Christ is God. This is a statement of the deity of Christ right here in verse 18, into verse 18, to him be the glory. He's the glorious one. Our goal is to honor Christ, to bring him glory. We don't make him glorious, we acknowledge him as glorious. And then, we'll end the same way Peter ends. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for Second Peter. Thank you for what we've learned in this great epistle. Thank you, God, for these ending challenges that we have seen. May we be people who live in light of the second coming and who are faithful to, to be expectant, to, to be involved in evangelism, to be seeking purity to be giving ourselves to the study of God's word and being taught God's word, to being alert and to be watchful ever for false teachers and false teaching. And Father, to grow, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ because that's what it matters. That's what it's all about. That's, that's our greatest defense and, and offense to all the error around us. We praise you and thank you for the last few months in this letter. We praise you for how it has enriched our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.